Welcome to this week's episode of the Comeback Girl podcast. My guest this week, Kenny Tamayo. Kenny's a learning and experience design consultant at PA Consulting in London. Kenny says we're all experienced designers. Whether you're hosting Christmas for the family, giving a talk or running a workshop, at some point you will have designed some kind of experience for others. Kenny takes this concept to businesses to aid behavioural transformation. Over the last 13 years, he's worked with Johnson & Johnson, Vodafone and Aviva, and most recently a global manufacturer leading their culture change program. Kenny sees his foray into the corporate world as a pit stop. He started out his career as an ethics and arts teacher by day and session singer by night, gracing the stage with Leona Lewis and Westlife. Kenny describes his journey with me to find self-actualisation at work. The messages for us from this podcast as returners are around being a newbie at work all over again. The importance of knowing why it is you get out of bed in the morning to go to your job and how workers today come into the office for astonishment, not a Monday to Friday sort of dying to quote Studs Terkel. Kenny is so humble and a deep thinker. He's comfortable in the knowledge that to be successful at work means to be a lifelong learner. We need to remain teachable to keep it fun. Enjoy Kenny. with the Kenny backstory because you have yeah. such a fascinating course, background. Yeah, well, so I began sort of life studying uh, sort of music actually, creative arts and, and theology. That was, philosophy was more of where I wanted to be at, but I didn't know back then. And in a way, I kind of sometimes think, if only someone told me when I was about to choose my degree, if someone just sort of said, why don't you try, try philosophy? Because I think that's really where my heart always was. But there was no one around, no one around at that time to sort of say, why don't you try this? So I, I started, um, yeah, I studied um, music and, and theology. I later found that for some reason I decided I wanted to teach uh, morality, ethics and creative arts. So then did that for about, oh gosh, nine years I taught. Uh, my stripes. I mean, I remember the first year when I sat in my car, this was uh, after my first um, month of teaching or so, sat in my car and just, just wept in the car, because it was that tough. What was tough about it? You're exposed when you're mm. kind of in education, when you're teaching, you're standing up at the front, and, and you're not seen as a human being, really, you're seen mm. as a, a sir, a ma'am, or sir, or miss, and you don't really have any, any feelings, you just have to kind of put up with... Uh, and do your best to kind of fight off whatever different whatever's thrown at you really. So there's there was the kids and the pressure of being in that environment, um, and then just also being a, a kind of a newbie, at learning the craft quite early on. Um, you know, it's, it's okay not to know what you're doing, mm. but actually that that can be quite tough. Um, and I wonder if there's something in just not being able to make that connection really quickly when you're teaching. You're in this position of authority. Mm. Uh, people may be fearful of you and, and what you represent they might be projecting all sorts of in, you know, characters that they've met and they've passed on to you same yeah. as when you go into a job 
it's incredibly challenging. Yeah. The teaching very much, you're, you're always performing in a way that you, uh, that isn't quite the same in, in um, you know, where I am now, for example, in a, in a corporate role where you're working in a team or you're working in your own. Um, working as a teacher really shaped me in lots of ways mm. and, and kind of in lots of ways made me who I am today. But I think I quickly, I, I never forget, there was a time I left, I left the class, I got downstairs and I just thought, gosh, there must be more to life than this. Mm. And it was so clear, it was almost like ground was sort of shifting beneath my feet. I, I literally felt some kind of um, recalibration without you know, being too grandiose about it. And, uh, and I just thought, yeah, there's something more than just the tyranny of the timetable at schools and, and the four walls within which you teach the same class, all the same kinds of lessons week, week in, week out. And it just coalesced in that moment. I thought, okay, yeah. But the question, I didn't know what, what next. I didn't know where to go next. Because, you, you know, you've been teaching for nine years and <laughs> the thing is, as teachers, you're kind of locked away in this kind of, it's not a prison, but it feels like a prison when you go to a new job in the outside world because you realise you don't go to the high street to grab a, a meal or something. You just have your lunch in the canteen and everything yeah. stays within its contained. Parallel and, universe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, precisely. I realised that there was something different for me and then I went on a bit of a journey to sort of seek out what that was, really. Mm-hmm. And it's a journey that I'm still on. Um, so you, you quit teaching? I did. Nothing else to go I, to? I, I, yeah, I had nothing, nothing lined up and that's happened a couple of times in my career where I've, I've left without without nothing else sort of lined up. And did fear feature in your in, in your experience? Because you know we were talking earlier about what informs my decision to work, yeah. and and very often it's moving away from pain as much as it mm. is towards a, a gain. I know that sounds really heavy, but what I'm trying to say is that you know, there's a fear of loss in it if I'm honest about work, a fear of mm. if I was to leave my corporate role at any point, and I've thought this at different points, the value that I get from being known, from being part mm. of a collaboration, from achieving little things, yeah. you know, each each day, each week, all, all of that stuff that's yeah. inherent in a job. And then, but you had the courage and you have a couple of times to, to chuck it in. So how did you manage to overcome the fear? Yeah, that's a really good question, Laura, and I wish I could say that <clears throat> I, you know, I did X, Y, and Z. I think mm-hmm. I've got to the point where um, the reality of staying in the same situation yeah. was far worse yeah. than the reality of yeah. of the unknown, of changing. Mm-hmm. Um, I just had enough. I just felt like it was. I needed to to move on. And I think basically mm-hmm. what I'm saying is, there's been times where. I try to follow sort of my gut a little bit sometimes, but at mm-hmm. least I try to kind of listen to kind of what's um, what's going on internally. I'm not sure how I, if it was a courage thing as much as it was a there was this thing inside that was moving me in a different direction. I just can't do this anymore. That's yeah. I know that bit for sure. Yeah. How did you start to move towards your current role? So I left teaching and I came across something called Motivational Maps, which was mm-hmm. very fascinating. And it was developed by a guy called James Sale. And he used to be a teacher. So I was I had a number of coaching sessions with him and realised that, oh, wow, someone else has done this. So I, I'm certainly not the first person to leave a kind of a really um, established profession that gives you a bit of security. You get your 13 weeks holiday throughout the year. My wife thought I was crazy for giving that up. And so he told me how he was an English teacher and then he went off and started a business. And so 
having a mentor and a coach that was really kind of key for me. So I trained with him and became a, a licensed um, practitioner of motivational maps, which basically is a employee engagement coaching tool. It was through doing numerous interviews with other people or coaching sessions because I had to practice and I did hours and hours and hours of coaching with other people around motivation that I, for me personally, began to sort of get a, um, a better sense of what my drivers were. And I think that self-awareness, that sort of looking inside without becoming too introspective and sort of, sort of in a depressing way, mm. but just understanding what your strengths are and, and how you're wired. How would you be able to tell the difference between doing a, a completing a, a motivational maps exercise and say the strengths finder that we all know mm. we typically go to when yeah. we're trying to work out what we're about? I think motivation is essentially about why do you get up on Monday morning? Why do you get out of your bed mm. and go to work? Um, whereas the strengths finder is is more about once you're in the door, once you're at work, where should you be deployed? Yep. to get sort of the best out of okay. your gift or your potential. Yeah, so Motivation Maps is all about this idea that we've all got sort of nine kind of drivers within us, if you like, to different levels of intensity. And they all revolve around kind of three overarching um, kind of energies, if you like. One is about relationships, so people that are kind of oriented around relationships. The other is self-actualization, mm-hmm. kind of growth and wanting to sort of develop. And the other one is more kind of achievements or work achievements. So you've got these kind of tripartite sort of um, set up here of relationships, achievement and growth and development. And when I began to see that, I thought, wow, I, I did a number of maps and realised that a lot of my drivers were around growth, development, self-actualisation, creativity, being creative, looking for meaning, looking for purpose. And I thought, gosh, I'm in an environment at, in, in, in teaching that isn't conducive to that. I can't be creative, I can't, mm. because if you've got to teach the test, you've got to get ready for exams. So it gave me a language to begin to talk about the things that I was finding difficult, but also gave me a language to begin to know what I wanted and where I was going. If you can't talk about something, it doesn't really exist, really, mm-hmm. There's no mm-hmm. unless you've got words and language for it. Yeah. So whatever tool people use, as long as it's something that helps them articulate where they're at and it kind of helps chart a path, um, in a particular direction I guess uh, and for me that was kind of motivation maps and then doing some coaching around that and then eventually um, I landed a job as uh, head of learning development at a national charity um, did that for two years and then uh, online was conversing with a, a gentleman called Nick Shackleton Jones who's my line manager at the moment but he's also a kind of a thought leader in the learning and development innovation space and he had a job at um, PA Consulting going and here I am today, a year later. And tell us a little bit about this amazing offering that you bring to PA. Yeah, so we, we've got something that we've been talking about quite a bit and we're quite excited about. Um, um, it's called Experience Design. That's one piece of the, of the offering that you're mentioning. What is Experience Design? Effectively, it's about how do we interact with people in a way um, that is meaningful and makes a difference We've all attended courses or been to face-to-face events um, that have been unbelievably forgettable. Just mm-hmm, you know, and mm-hmm. where you just want the ground to swallow you up, you know. Yeah. But this now within PA, what we're talking about is like actually, how do we do away with that? How do we take people through a, a kind of experience that is memorable? What does that look like? What does it look like to have an experience where you're transformed or you're altered or shifted? 
And people might identify with this in the sense that, you know, there's always somebody in your life, either in your family or your friends, who you probably might think that person is never going to change. You know, they've always been like that. You know, there's no point wasting your time on that person. What if there's something that they could experience that would shift them, that would mm. ch transform them, mm -hmm. you know, subtly or a, yeah. you know, a step change or a macro kind of change? What would that look like? What would it be? Because, you know, businesses are talking about business transformation, digital transformation, and transformation is just a buzzword. Mm -hmm. But what real behaviour change are we seeing? And, and businesses want to see that behaviour change in their, in their people. And so we've now taken that on and said, we think that one way to shift behaviour is to kind of trigger emotions and to begin to tap into people, what people care about. So if you want people to care about recycling, data protection, then we have to tap into a, an emotional level and then trigger some connections there at that yeah. level. Um, so, so that looks like everything from, you know, we've done a, a piece of work, um, and I won't bore you too much with all the sort of case studies, but a piece of work where around inclusion. And we, um, we had two groups, two groups of participants. One group was the in-group, the other group was the out-group. And we briefed the in-group and said, when the out-group come in, we want you to um, demonstrate these behaviours. You're going to kind of exclude them from the group. You're going to kind of put down their responses. In fact, sometimes you're going to ignore the responses. So the out-group come into the meeting now, and they don't realise that the first team have been briefed. But they feel quite palpably this feeling of being, um, not being included not having their voice heard or not having their points recognised. And, and, you know, obviously everyone is incredibly frustrated and sort of irate at, you know, why is no one listening to me? We create a real space that taps into people's emotions. Yes. And too, for too long, kind of training and learning has been quite artificial, boring, mm. death by PowerPoint. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, it's just yep. like, come on. And, yep. and, and all along, all this time, we've always known quite in, in, intuitively perhaps that you know, stories, people love stories. And if you go to a workshop or session and someone just says a story about their grandma, that's probably what you remember sure. above everything else, you right? Will. You know? Um, the other side of experience design is thinking about the career and thinking about, well, how do we increase those kind of peak experiences? How do we make work a place where, um, where that's more, more likely to happen? It's interesting that um, you talk about the peaks in people's careers because what I'm noticing when I talk to people for the podcast is that people are not putting up with being in one career for yeah. 20 years going on this lovely linear path where they know exactly where they'll be in five years no they want yeah. more of an experience they want yeah. to feel more valued they want to feel more like mm. they're in flow and like they're using their strengths they're using yeah. their motivations mm. so this is super cool to be doing this work there's a, there's a quote, I can't remember it, by a guy called Stud, Studs Turkle. Got, people come to work for astonishment, he says. People don't come to work for a kind of a Monday to Friday sort of dying. He says people come to work for a Monday to Friday sort of living. And, and, and how work can be sort of, for some people, a kind of a death-dealing experience, a, a soul-destroying experience mm. or life-sucking experience, all those mm. kinds of words. Mm. I, I think ultimately people are a bit at, all at sea with this stuff because mm. I think... Um, we kind of transact our lives in ways in kind of routine. Yeah. And so it's, it's a lot of work to go in and sort of begin thinking about this. But the preparedness to st that you had after nine years to stand in the playground or wherever it was and say, 
I'm not feeling this anymore and I am leaving. That is super brave, but it probably stopped you from years and years of pain. Yeah, gosh. But but this is, I'd see see Laura teachers in the staff room who'd been teaching in the same school for 30 Mm. years and God bless them because there are lots of teachers that do that and Mm. I think that's amazing. But it's those that begin to complain that I think I never want to be like. When you've interview people for your own podcast and I know that you've been exploring this idea on a really broad level about why work yeah why do we get up and do it to ourselves why do we do it do you see any common themes when you're talking to people Mm, yeah I I do you mentioned something earlier Um, I think you used the word flow Mm. Uh, and that comes up a heck of a lot I think what what I see often is um there's, there's these three things about you know self determination, so you know sense of meaning, achievement, and purpose. And Daniel Pink talks about it as well in his mm. book on on drive. And I think we're all looking for that sense of meaning. We're looking for that sure. um, sense of transcendence. And people are going to think that sounds really mystical, really strange, or weird. But actually, it doesn't. Transcendence doesn't need to have a spiritual or religious connotation to it. But it's all about feeling you're part of something that's bigger than you. Or what, certainly, what I've heard from people is people are looking for that release of energy and and that's really what motivation is about motivation is about your energy it's a bit it's a bit like your fuel fuel in a car i think we're all wired that way we all want to make sense of our lives we all are looking for that meaning you want to make sense of the world and you want want that energy the challenge is if you're in an organization where your flow is being disrupted in a kind of unproductive way you're quickly sapped of energy Mm-hmm. Um, and so that means you're more unproductive, you're less productive, yeah. so you're less proficient, you're making less progress, and then that obviously affects in terms of your overall performance. But, but again, going back to motivation, unless people understand um, how their energy levels work and what kind of adds to them in terms of energy and what takes away from them, we may well be feeling around in the dark. I think for me, because I spent six or seven years out of the workforce. That was the time I could really afford to stand back and work out who I was, what I was good at, and what yeah. was important to me. It provided a springboard when I went back into work because I, I knew what the bits I, would, I could compromise on, the bits mm-hmm. I had to be flexible on in order yeah. to get back into a job, but also the components of a role that just simply had to feature so that I would be yeah. motivated yeah. to get up, yeah. go in, feel like I've made a difference. Yeah. Actually, it's, it's massively beneficial in your mm. career, isn't it? Yeah. Was it, is it Mark Twain that said the two most important times in your life are the day you were born and the day you found out why? And, yeah. uh, and, and being able to have that confidence to kind of say, actually, I need this, this needs to be in this role, otherwise it's yeah. not going to work. And, and asking different questions as well. If you are not asking questions the whole way through, then it's going to start to get boring quite yeah, quickly. Yeah, but I mean, some people are okay with the sort of nine to five, and then their their real life happens on a weekend or in the evenings, and and they've learned to sort of not ask those questions and kind of just be okay and kind of. Do, do, you, ever, do you ever wish you were more like that? Because sometimes I do. Yeah, well, <laughs> sometimes I yeah, think of I ask too many yeah. questions. I think too much. Wow. I think I do sometimes as well, and, and I see a direction for me that isn't doesn't reflect corporate life. I mean, mm-hmm. doesn't reflect the stuff I'm doing now. And I've had to say, well, how do I, how do I kind of start that stuff that I enjoy doing? So at one point, I just said, okay, I'm going to use my evenings 
to just read and whereas I normally might sort of chill and put my feet up I get a philosophy book out and, and just sort of read and kind of engage with it feeds your soul it, feeds, it your really mind. does yeah yeah and my kids are young so it does mean, it means it happens from sort of 9 to 11 in the night mm-hmm. um, but, uh, but yeah I guess when you're doing something you really care about and you, it doesn't feel like work what I'm realising it's fascinating to me is that people are constantly turning over stones mm. and they're asking questions and as they hold the questions, the answers yeah. come. I haven't met anybody yet, and I still may, who has a very logical progression that's been very yeah. clear to them the way they should go. Mm. Everybody that I've spoken to has been just open to pursuing yeah. different ways of getting to the end goal, which is a satisfying, fulfilling role. Yeah. But what is so interesting is the transferable skills that mm. we pick up, yeah. and you were a teacher, that you took some skills from there into the corporate world. Yeah. And whilst you're saying to me, the corporate world is probably where I won't end up, you're here now, you're yeah. thriving, you're making a difference here. Mm. People are much more flexible and more yeah. adaptable with what they bring. And I think that's yeah. really cool about the workplace of 2018. Yeah. The future of work is a big topic, right? And mm. it's changing. It is, you know, it's happening now. We're seeing it change in, in real time with the whole conversation around millennials as well. I mean, I know some people don't necessarily like all the sort of chat about sort of different generations, but, but there is some truth to it, I think. And I think you're right. We should have that flexibility and then people that can't flex their style yeah. um, find it yeah. harder. I think you're right. You kind of have to be a sort of lifelong learner in a, in a way. Um, you have to sort of remain teachable and not everybody has that which makes career changes more sort of um, fear inducing or anxiety inducing Mm -hmm. this is an opportunity to grow it's something to learn to sort of pick something up maybe we do need to all just get a little bit more existential on ourselves and and think of a bigger picture if you know that you're travelling in the right direction it's great to step back actually and think well what else could I do where else could I be the preparedness to keep going to not be perfect Mm. to make mistakes is is actually the thing that will keep us enjoying our roles keep us challenged we know from all of the theory that we read about the growth mindset that actually your brain is 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 expanding as you're taking on these challenges the hardest thing I've found is realizing um how much I like to be in a position of security in terms of what I know and how to do my job. Yeah. I want to know exactly what I'm doing yeah. and I want to feel like I'm on top of my game. Yeah. I don't want to feel vulnerable. Oh, so do you know? But there have been a number of times where because I've moved into an area that I've not been that familiar with or I'm working on a client project that I don't know anything about. Mm-hmm. And do you feel like you've just been kind of dropped off into this kind of war zone? But um, it's been so eye-opening to sort of feel emotionally those challenges I've had. And what have you learned about yourself? The biggest thing I've taken away is um, when you're in these situations, it, it's really all about um, ma- managing your own emotional level and being able to maintain a sense of inner calm, even if you absolutely don't know what you're doing, um, because that helps other people around you. They, they feed off that sort of stillness that you have and that kind of face of everything's okay and and, yeah. and, and maintaining perspective, which is yeah. so important. I r- ran into somebody the other day and she worked on a team that I manage 
it was just this inadvertent thing that I adopted this team. And on day one, I sat them all around this big boardroom table and mm. I said, guys, I do not know what I'm doing here yeah. and you all have to help me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try and find all the answers, yeah. but at, at the moment, I, I don't know and I'm sorry, but yeah. let's try and work it out together. Mm. Um, this lady, I bumped into her last year and she said, you have no idea how many times I've used that phrase. <laughs> She's now an entrepreneur. She's yeah. gone to be an incredibly successful florist. That really, really helped me mm. to realise that it, it's not really whether or not you make a mistake, it's your preparedness to acknowledge it and how that you handle it is, is yeah. really what people around you, particularly sub- subordinates, you know, yeah. direct reports, look at and think, that was a mistake, but yeah. look at how she dealt with it. Yeah. And when you come back into a job, that's really important to think, I am going to make mistakes. There are huge gaps in my yeah. knowledge, but yeah. I'm going to be open about that and I'm going mm. to fix it. It's painful. Those questions that are asked of you, all those opportunities are potentially painful opportunities and often we move away from pain towards kind of pleasure. But, but the only real way to, to, to kind of growth and progress is kind of reframing that in a different way. One final question for you. Nick comes into work tomorrow and says, Kenny, it's mm-hmm. been great. You're my star employee, but I can't afford you anymore. And you back out on the pavement and you have to find something else. I've got two children and I think if, if, if Nick did come in tomorrow and that was the situation, I'd want to spend time with them. I'd want to just mm. um, uh, see if my wife could, could work and then actually give her a bit of a break and maybe see if Take I could... Take a career break. Yeah, yeah. I'm always yeah, saying yeah. how valuable they yeah, are. exactly. What about the motivational maps? How, how accessible are they for an individual? Can we jump online and buy one? Yeah, very accessible. So, so you can only get them through a licensed practitioner. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just so happens, I, I'm one of those. Right. <laughs> they will send the code out to you and then you complete it online. It takes about 20 minutes or so. Then you get some feedback. I think, yeah, I think everyone should do one. I think it should be like an MOT. You do one yeah, once a year. Absolutely. Um, because just, you can, I, I don't think you can ever have too many of those kinds of tools, no, wherever you I get them from. Um, the Enneagram is another one that I did. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but that's, um, it's got a more holistic kind of dimension to it. So, yeah, if people want one, they can get in touch with me online, on Twitter or wherever. Oh, Kenny, um, yeah. you are a joy. You're a thinker and you're really human. I guess I think of philosophers <laughs> as being very lofty and not in touch with reality. That's just my own. No, bias, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, but you're yeah. both. Oh, thanks. That's um, oh, that's really kind. Um, well, so but my wife is very different for me. She's very kind of instinctive, gutsy, and pragmatic, and all that. So when she asks me something, I'm, oft, I'm often reflecting on it and thinking. Hmm, I need to think about what I think about that. But she wants an answer now. <laughs> so I'm always conscious of that. Especially when the question is, when are you coming home? <laughs> yeah, when am I coming home? Mm, depends on what home <laughs> Let me means. Think about yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> what home means? Oh, Kenny, you're a delight. Thank you oh, so, so thanks, much for Lord. your time. It's been really precious. It's been a pleasure to be on here. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. The Comeback Girl podcast and the blog at www.comebackgirl.com are entirely free resources. They're offered to encourage you in your return to work after a career break. My name's Laura Izard and as a career returner myself and deeply experienced recruiter, I'm all in for bringing other women back to work after career breaks. In the podcast, 
I share real life stories of comeback journeys, practical advice on finding fulfilling work and help with the all important mindset and confidence required. I'd love you to leave a review today on iTunes to help spread the word. Women's careers today can feature pivots, rest, complete about turns and still be hugely impactful and filled with purpose. I'm a firm believer that your best work can be ahead after a career break. Follow Comeback Girl along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and the blog as you come back better than before.